1: What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the HuntStand Podcast. To start this thing off, from our family over here at Hunt stand to yours, we want to wish all of y'all a very happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you're going to get to spend some time stuffing your bellies with turkey, spending some time in the woods, and just having a good time with family and enjoying this time of year. It's holiday season. It's deer season. So what more could you ask for? But on today's episode, we're going to be bringing on a very decorated female hunter who has a work ethic like no other. I haven't seen anybody work this hard ever before. And she also kills some monster bucks year after year monster muleys, monster whitetail, and some giant elk, along with many other species. So that is Mrs. Melissa Bachman. Now, she's a partner of ours over here at Hunt Stand, and I want to help tell her story and also pick her brain on some rut strategies and what she does this time of year to back some big bucks you know she's going to have some nuggets for y'all that if you've killed a buck yet or if you haven't killed one yet you'll be able to hopefully take some of this and apply it to what you're doing and get yourself that buck that you've been chasing after all season so we're going to get melissa on here to talk about that I'm not going to dive into it too much because I'm going to let her tell her story and also tell us about some awesome rut strategies that she uses. But again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the HuntStand podcast. We couldn't do this without y'all. And if you haven't yet, make sure you have the HuntStand app downloaded. We've got the free version. We've got the pro version. And then new this fall, we got pro whitetail. And in that, you'll get our rut map, our whitetail activity forecast, along with a whitetail habitat layer. So if you want to have all those features, upgrade to pro whitetail today. So again, y'all, here's Melissa Bachman. I'm a quick talk in and we thank you for tuning in to the hunt stand podcast. Well, are you ready to get this thing started? Absolutely. All right. Well, Melissa, first and foremost, we just want to welcome you and thank you for hopping on the hunt stand podcast with us today.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. I sure appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. You know, I've been wanting to podcast with you for a while now. I know you and I, I met you at the silencer central event out there in Sioux falls. We got to shoot a lot of guns and, you know, enjoy that event. So, I wanted to get you on here today to kind of introduce you to listeners, talk about your backstory and everything. Let's talk deer hunting. We'll go down some rabbit holes, things like that. But what I love to do to get each podcast started out is I like for the listeners to get an idea of who you are. And so Mm -hmm. kind of give us that 30 foot tree stand view of who you are and how you got into hunting.
2: So I grew up in central Minnesota. Um, My mom and dad both loved to hunt. And they joke that the only reason they always brought us along hunting is because they didn't want to pay for a babysitter. Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Not a problem. But because we were uh, brought into that lifestyle since we were really little, it was completely normal. That's what we did on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, We went duck hunting on public land every weekend. Um, We played in the blinds before we were old enough to actually hunt. We'd play with the ducks and bring giant bags full of snacks you know? Heck yeah. Um I still remember going deer hunting with my dad all the time mm-hmm. and it was kind of before safety vests and all that was normalized yep. um, and we would go in the garage and cut a piece of twine for around our waist and <laughs> he'd tie us to the tree stand right? So at least they they were safety conscious, sort of, I guess. Um, (laughs) But but that's how I grew up. It it was part of what we did. Um, Even if we weren't able to go hunting, if my dad or mom shot a deer, we'd go out into the field and help them. And so since I was little, that's all I ever wanted to do is find a way to hunt every single day. Mm -hmm. That was my goal. And I wasn't sure how I was going to ever make that happen. And people kind of laughed at it. And I always had a plan B, like I was either going to be an anesthesiologist (laughs) or maybe on the NFL sidelines. I wasn't sure. Lots of big ideas. But I ended up finding a way that, you know, I could hunt all the time. And that was going to be through television. And even when I was in high school, that's all I wanted to do. In fact, my mom and dad signed a work permit that I didn't have to go to school all fall for the first two hours of every morning. Morning, um, and I got to go deer hunting every morning for two hours before school started. Seriously, and they they said I was providing food for the family. That was my job. So how cool that all works out. Um, so so there was always this love and passion. Um, never did I want to have a television show or do that type of thing. I just wanted to hunt all the time. And I ended up going to college. I got a double major in television production and Spanish. I got done and I was looking for a job and I I wasn't sure if there was really an opening in the hunting industry. So I applied at 74 different locations. Wow! I applied all over and I got 74 no's. (laughs) Not (laughs) one person wanted to hire me. And you know, that talk about kind of taking the wind out of your sails. You just Mm -hmm. graduated college. You've got all this debt. You got to start a job and nobody even wants to hire you at like a base level position, right? So I thought, well, what am I going to do? And the big thing that everybody said is, well, you have no experience. And I wanted to be like, well, of course I don't. You know, I'm coming out of college. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. So what I decided to do is I went through the list and I picked the number one location I wanted to work. And that was actually the North American Hunting Club. Mm -hmm. And I called them back and I said, I know you guys aren't interested in hiring me, but what if I would come in and work for free so I can gain some experience? And they said, well, gee, sure, yeah, um, what can you do? And I said, well, I could edit, I can film, I could sweep floors, I could c- categorize tapes, you know, whatever you want. There's no job beneath me. I just want to get my foot in the door. And they said, okay, well, when can you start? And I said, tomorrow. And they said, you're in. And so I worked for four months driving 150 miles a day back and forth to go wow. work for free and i got to waitress all night every night to pay for my gas and my awful little housing that i had at the time Oh man. and that's kind of how i got my foot in the door and i look back and i think you know guys maybe someone could have given me a little gas check here and there would have been really nice just a little um, something yeah something but but what it did is it gave me that experience and, and I got to work with producers who had been doing this for a long time. And after four months, they actually hired me for that original position I applied for and I became a full-time producer. Um, and of course, I wasn't on camera. <clears throat> this was just doing you know things behind the scenes, editing, filming. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed it <laughs> and I knew that if I ever want to be the actual hunter someday, I need to know every part of this, you Mm -hmm. know, and this was my ticket to do that. And I had wonderful people around me that were, you know, really knowledgeable and offered to help me. And, you know, because I I was new, I didn't know that many things, but I knew how to hunt and I loved to hunt and that kind of got me through it. And for four years I filmed everybody else. Um, But what I would do is if I worked for, let's say 30 days straight, they would give me what they called comp time where I'd get like five days off. So on those five days off, I'd go do a hunt, film it myself with my own gear I had bought and edit it together and wait till someone didn't have a show ready. (laughs) And when when it's Friday afternoon, people are scrambling, I'd say, well, I have a show right here. It's cut to time. You guys can have it for free and run it. And that's really how I got my foot in the door. Um, They ran a few of my shows. I was lucky enough to kill some really nice deer. And I didn't have any money to buy hunts, so I would just trade for things, right? Like I could do some services for them, or film a video for their lodge, or whatever it may be, yeah. or help help guide hunt, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so I did that, and eventually, a few sponsors started saying, "Well, what about that girl, Melissa? Could we see more of her?" And like, no, oh, no, she's just a cameraman. You don't, <laughs> we don't need her. And uh, it ended up working out well. I actually broke away, started my own production company. And I've been producing my show now for 12 years um, and I do every aspect of it. And I'm so thankful to know all those skills because I would have went bankrupt so fast because I didn't have the money. I didn't have Mm -hmm. someone bankrolling me, but I knew how to do each set of skills that was needed. So, you know, there were a lot of hundred hour weeks in there and a lot of times that I would be literally falling asleep eating or walking or you know, all sorts of things because I'd be up all night editing too. But in the end, you know, that was kind of the way that I could get in is just by outworking everybody else and just staying persistent. So that's kind of how I got started.
1: And now you've got, you said 12 seasons of mm-hmm. your show. What What's yes. the name of your show for the listeners out there?
2: It's called <laughs> Winchester Deadly Passion. It airs on Sportsman's Channel. Um, it's on, I think, five days a week, but Sunday mornings at 1130 a.m. Eastern time is kind of the main time.
1: How many episodes have you recorded now?
2: Oh, a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Um, i I'm on year round, so I run fifty two weeks a year, so I try to produce somewhere around twenty new episodes a year, so yeah, you can do the math. It, it's been quite a few episodes.
1: but man, what what a way to climb the ladder, if you will, you know, wor- from working for free, putting in the time, putting in the hours, and then here you are now with your own show like that, that is an awesome success story. And, you know, for I think for a lot of kids out there, I think they're after this podcast, we're probably going to have a lot of kids that they're going to start convincing the, their parents to write them notes so they can have that first two hours <laughs> of school off. Right
2: <laughs> now. You do have to remember that was a few years ago, so I don't know if they would go for that anymore, but hey, it was for me. We're having Where's food shortages
1: at, at grocery stores now, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it could, it right. could be plausible. Right?
2: Absolutely. It might be the most financially beneficial decision for your whole family at this point. <laughs>
1: hey, when my, when my daughter gets to be that age and she wants to do that, I will try and write it, but I won't give her any guarantees or promises.
2: <laughs> See, I live in a small town that it might be able to still pull off here. I'm not sure, but I'll give her a try. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Here it be we're in a small town, but it's small town Texas, so I, yeah. maybe, maybe. So, well, Melissa, I you never
2: to, know if you don't ask.
1: Exact exactly, that is the truth, so well, Melissa, I wanted to get you on here because it's November. A lot of whitetail hunters, all I can think about right now is the rut, and so you have filmed tons and tons of episodes you've you've gone on a lot of hunts in in what you've done, and so I kind of want to pick your brain if you will, and we don't have to go through every single rut hunt, but I want to see if we can jog your memory to kind of come up with some whitetail rut hunts that just really stick out to you and kind of tell us what happened, whether you were successful or not, what you learned from it. So that way the listener who might be having something similar going on out at their property, their deer lease or whatever they're doing, that they might be able to learn from it and apply it to what they're doing to potentially kill that big buck just like you have.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, November is my favorite month to hunt. Um, Mm -hmm. I am gone pretty much every single day in November. As soon as we get off this call, I'm buzzing straight to Nebraska um, and getting out on stand this afternoon. There you go. But one thing with the rut is people sometimes can get down on it. And I do, too. You know, when you have warm weather right now, it's 80 degrees today here in South Dakota. That is unheard of for this time of the year. But those deer are still going to be up and moving. Mm -hmm. We have a ton of trail cameras out right now. And you can see them start lighting up with daytime activity starting about October 27th, 28th. Um, So that's always one thing that I like to do is have as many cameras out in the field as possible just so you kind of have an eye in the sky, right? You can get a feel of not necessarily just that one spot but when that activity is picking up we literally could pick out some of the high pressure days sometimes because all of a sudden you've got deer all over your cameras another thing we're always looking for fronts coming in yep. Um. a couple of years ago i think it was in the middle of covid when everything was locked down Um. we had a big storm that was coming through at the beginning of november mm-hmm. and they were talking about it dumping maybe two feet of snow wow well my husband and i are like okay we have got to be out hunting before that. And we had had success that week. Um, I'm a big fan of using a decoy during the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime from late October all the way till mid December, I pretty much have a decoy with me at all times. Okay. And we had put this decoy out and we actually had an encounter with the buck we were after, but he kind of spooked away from it. And every once in a while, that'll happen. Um, you know, a decoy. It just depends on the mood of the buck. And so many times people will put a decoy out, they'll use it, and maybe it doesn't work the first time and they say, you know what, forget it. Let's get rid of this decoy, right? But you have to stick with it. And over the time, I've just learned that it has helped me way more than it has ever hurt me. So we decided, you know what? we're going to move spots a little bit because I don't want to put that decoy in the exact same spot where that target buck had already seen it. Right. And he got a little bit spooked. So we moved about three, 400 yards set up and here comes the buck and a hot doe and they're walking past us and they're going to go down and they're going to get our wind and we figure it's going to be all over. Well, as soon as that doe spotted that decoy, she was hot, and she turned and went to the decoy instead.
1: Now, and was I this a doe or a buck decoy?
2: It's a buck decoy. Okay. We use a, a Dave Smith decoy, and it's a posturing decoy. So its hair is standing on end. Um, it's got probably, oh, I'd say about 115-inch rack on it. Um, but the key is the ears are laid back, and the hair is standing up, uh. and that's showing dominance. And I've seen it time and time again that it works incredible for bucks but even when a doe's hot, she almost wants, she gravitates towards a more dominant buck, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, she kind of leaves the guy that she's with, walks over to our buck, and all of course, that big deer is like, absolutely not having that. <laughs> he walks straight down the window, us through our wind, comes to the decoy, and at 18 yards, I was able to arrow him, made a perfect shot. Heck and yeah. it was just incredible to see. And there is a perfect situation where, If that decoy had not been out, they would have just missed our blind. And with bow hunting, it's such a small, you know, it's a, it's, you got to get them in close, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to have reasons to bring them in close. And we've just had such good luck with a decoy. I don't hunt a lot of places where you can bait. Yeah. So I'm always looking for some way to bring those deer right into me. And that decoy really works well. And when we put it out, um, the first thing we'll do is we'll put it out, spray it down completely with like scent killer gold. So okay. that way you get rid of any of your scent. Okay. Then the next thing I like to do is we'll take like a bottle of golden scrape and I pour it right on the decoy's hawks.
0: Really? So
2: that way you're getting rid of your scent and you're adding some extra scent in it. And then I'll put a few key wicks around with some golden estrus just so it smells like a hot dough in the area. And then lastly... If I've already killed a rutted up buck, the first thing I do, I cut those tarsal glands off and I put them in a plastic bag and I keep those tarsal glands with me for the whole season and I keep them cold or in the freezer, yeah. bring them out and I never touch them. I just keep them in a bag and kind of pick them up like you would dog poop. Yeah. <laughs> you just grab them and <laughs> flip them inside. Yep. It's a nice, easy visual. Everyone knows how to <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, but you put that out and that combination, it is unbelievable especially with the big mature bucks, how tricked they are. Because if you're sitting on stand, and let's say you do a little rattling, some grunting, and maybe a snort wheeze, right? So Mm -hmm. you make it sound like there's a fight going on. Well, a buck hears that, and the first thing he's going to do is kind of come and look it over, right? So now he has a visual. He can see a buck, and it's not just a buck standing there. It's a buck posturing in his area. And usually they will not put up with that. The third thing they'll do, they want to get downwind of that decoy. They want to smell what it is to ensure that that's right. So now when they get downwind of your decoy and they smell those tarsal glands, they smell that golden estrus, they smell everything you put out, but none of your scent, you've tricked three out of their five senses. And I'm telling you, they just come in on a string on it. Now, sometimes they'll come and they'll hit it immediately. So I always try to watch the buck and see, because if they hit it, Nine times out of ten, they know something wasn't right, right? Because <laughs> it's plastic. Yeah. It goes flying, and you may not get a shot. So if it looks like they're going to smoke that decoy and I want to shoot them, I'm going to try to take my shot before they hit it. Absolutely. But a lot of times, they'll just kind of come in, and they'll parallel walk it, the posture. If you ever set your decoy up near kind of a bush, they'll go and they'll rake that bush trying to show their dominance. And what's nice is if you set it out and let's say you've got like a year and a half old buck that comes in, right? And then maybe a two and a half year old buck that comes in. Every buck you'll see will do the exact same thing. So what I like is you can put that decoy out and it's like a test run, right? You can get these smaller deer and make sure one, did you have a shot? Two, did anything spook them or was something not right? Mm -hmm. And you get out of your blind or your tree stand and you go fix it. Because if, unless the wind changes, they all do the exact same thing. So a lot of times people think, well, that little one did that. I'll just wait. And, you know, we'll just see how it goes. I'm a firm believer. You get down and you fix it. You make it right. So that way you're ready for when the big buck comes in, it's going to follow that same path. I've had 15 to 20 different bucks in one set in South Dakota come into my decoy. God. And everyone just does the same thing. Now, again, they're not all shooters, right? Right. But it's so fun to watch that interaction. And sometimes they will hit them and when they do, you know, they'll run off and then you got to go back out and set up your decoy. I actually lost one antler one time because it got hit (laughs) so hard that it went flying and I didn't want to spend all that time out there so I used a buck with just one antler and that's actually turned out to be a great tactic I learned it on accident um, because they think that that buck's broke off right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. if you take one antler off they're always going to come to that side of it because they think that's his weak side Uh. so their goal is to smash their rack into the side of him and they'll always go to that weak side so if you ever have a buck that you're not sure maybe he's not as dominant or you know you just want to try something different yeah if you simply remove one side of the antlers it's incredible how well that can work during the rut and again it happened because I've lost the antlers a couple of times Um, but you know what so what it's amazing and the key there too is making sure that those ears are laid back, you know. Um, on one hunt I was out and, and I forgot or didn't have my decoy with, so I just went and bought like a Glendale buck, right? Yeah. And I thought, oh, that'll be fine. Whatever. It'll work. It does not work. <laughs> no? And the reason it doesn't is because you need that visual with it looks like their hair's standing on end, their ears <sighs> are splayed back. Without that, nobody cares it just looks like another deer, and they're not that concerned. But when a buck comes out and sees that dominance, they just can't deal with it, and they want to—they want to knock them over. And I've had a lot of decoys knocked over, and it is pretty fun to see.
1: Man, I got to try that this year. Now, with your play, how are you placing these decoys? You know. I- are you setting these decoys out in the middle of the field? Are you which direction are you having them pointed at you so the deer tries to get in front of them, which would then put them in front of, like right between you and the decoy? How what's your strategy?
2: So a lot of times you know I'll put them on field edges, I'll put them in like little clearings, but one thing to know is if you are sitting in an area with a high population of does, there is a very good chance that does may come out and they don't like that decoy. Yeah. They'll walk around, they'll smell it, they'll the, they just don't like it that he doesn't move. These does are a little more cautious, right? right. They're like, yeah. hey, "Dude, why haven't you moved for five minutes here?" <laughs> what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> um, so sometimes they'll blow or make some noise. Um, is not the end of the world. Um, I've had bucks come in right after does have blown out. Not a big deal. Um, but what's important is to put it somewhere where they can visually see it for for a while for a ways off, right? Okay. Um, so I do like it. Where it's somewhat in the open, I will try, you know, if I've got a big food plot that's going to be full of deer, sometimes I'll pull it a little bit closer to me. So that way it's not like pulling those does over and and causing trouble all evening for me but I like to usually have him quartering kind of towards me. I don't usually put him straight at me because I don't want him thinking like he's looking at me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and having the deer be on alert as to what's this buck looking at. And there I am sitting in a tree or in a blind. So I'll usually quarter him, uh, you know, one side or the other. And then again, I watch what those deer do when they come in. I want to make sure that I have a broadside shot as he parallel walks. If he's kind of quartering to you, a lot of times they'll parallel walk him. But when they're getting ready to fight, they're going to try to hit them head on. Um, And so, you know, again, you just got to watch it and make sure that you are positioning it correct for that spot. And I do like to look for a little bush or something around there because these bucks love to go over to that bush and show their dominance. And you don't want that bush being too far away out of your shooting range. I like something that's nice and close where I've got a nice broadside shot. So if they're standing there raking that bush, I can take my shot then.
1: Okay. All right, y'all. So we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick for a quick word from our sponsors. The HuntStand Podcast is brought to you by LaCrosse Footwear, innovating boots that endure with you through every adventure, now and forever For The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and Winchester. And finally, the HuntStand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class defining adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. All right, y'all. We're gonna get back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Man, you got me thinking how I can use this this whole season. We're actually mm-hmm. fixing to start here pretty quick here in Texas, and so okay, so you know we've got that hunt that you did during COVID. Mm-hmm. Were you able to learn what what other hunt did you have during the rut? That something like that stands out to you again.
2: Well, we've also done it where we've become a big fan at all our stands. We kind of call it like creating our own little buck paradise, right? Okay. So at every single stand location on ground that we hunt year after year, we have a water hole at that location. We usually will go buy, you know, whatever the cheapest 150-gallon tank is mm-hmm. at Fleet Farm or wherever, pick it up, and sometimes we'll dig it in the ground so it's flush with the ground. Right. Sometimes we just set it on top. And we fill that with water and we have these, it's, I think it was called an ivy bag, but think about all different kinds where you just put in the bed of your truck or a four wheeler yeah. and you can fill it with about 150 gallons of water. And we just got a couple of attachments because some of the places we can't drive to. So we'll run like 300 foot of hose, going oh. to our water tank and we'll fill these tanks that way. But I have learned that water, especially like right now in South Dakota, we are in a major drought. Water is so important, and these deer will come from a long ways to get to that water. So we keep a water tank there. Then we also go to the lumber yard and get a cedar post. Okay. Um, We dig it about 18 inches into the ground, and then tamp it in, and then we'll take a saw and kind of rough it up, right, to get it started. Yeah, yeah. These deer will come, and they will rub. In fact, one post we're going to have to redo next year, because (laughs) they've rubbed it almost through like an hourglass on the post. Seriously. And the key with that is just not touching it. You know, once they get going on it, just let their scent go. And little bucks, big bucks, every buck wants to rub it. And that's why you push it so far in the ground. Because you've got a 200 and some pound animal Mm -hmm. pushing all his weight on that post. You really want it to be sturdy. So that's what we do. And then on the top, we actually place, we'll take like an inch and three quarter drill bit, drill a hole through it, and then go find a branch right there put a branch through that hole and then put two screws in it so it's now screwed to it so it looks like a licking branch right there. And then I'll tie like a little mock scrape, a magnum scrape dripper, put some scent in it so it'll drip daytime only. And then you clear it out so it looks like there's a scrape there. And then you just put a camera on it and sit back. And all this is inside of 20 yards at every stand location we have. And I'm telling you, it is the best way to draw deer right to where you are. And I usually pair that with the decoy, you know, during the rut. But that combination, I've shot, I think, one, two, three, four deer over 150 inches in South Dakota over that same setup.
1: Are you counting Um, the deer on your wall right now?
2: No, no, No. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So you you
1: just take like a a four by four from any wood uh, lumber yard or anything, and that's what you're putting in, just a cedar post.
2: Yep. Any type of cedar post. Um, And we just, like I said, we just rough it up a little to get it started and they take it over from there. And then I always Hmm. put a camera on it. I mean, the amount of pictures I have right now, I mean, we actually had to go fill. We filled four water tanks yesterday. Okay. And usually we don't have to fill them more than, you know, every three, four weeks. These had only been not even a week, and they had drank almost all of it gone already. Yeah,
1: and no cattle or anything are hitting that. Nope,
2: and we do every once in a while have cattle get in, and if they get in, it's over. Yeah, it's They'll gone. drink 150 gallons in three hours, and it's goodbye, God. and get so mad because it's a lot of work to get water in there. Oh, but yeah. we have learned that that water is so effective, and it's just a great way to draw those deer in, get them in front of your stand, and get them used to it. You know, It actually becomes kind of like a social area where there'll be at times, you know, 10, 15 deer right around it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say we're in an area with a super high population of deer, but they like that area. And then during the rut, when those bucks are running hard and chasing, those does, those bucks, they know where the water is. And they're thirsty because they've been pushed and running and going crazy. And there's you sitting in your stand and they get used to it. And we usually try to put our blinds out if it's a soft-sided blind, probably in like August. Um, And one thing I always like to do with that is leave the windows open. Um, So many people put those soft-sided blinds and you're inside of 20 yards, right? Mm -hmm. And they keep it all buttoned up. And then they get in there and they put the windows down. And now there's this black stripe across it, right? And the deer know something's different. And so we started just always leaving the windows exactly how we're going to hunt in them. And it really seems to make a big difference as well
1: that's what we do i do the same thing i've had like some people ask me well man aren't you gonna close up your pop-ups like nope because those deer are gonna notice it they definitely do
2: they do and they they pick out the smallest things so if you can just you know alleviate as many things as possible to give yourself the best chances that usually helps and of course some bucks will come in rut it up they could care less what's going on they're coming in to get a drink and doesn't matter what's going on; yep. they're coming in. So, but that doesn't always happen. So you got to plan accordingly. <laughs>
1: true, very true. Yeah, we've got. I've kind of got some similar setups here in Texas. We've actually got a couple of water wells on our property that there have been four-inch pipes led to them that we can actually turn the wells on and keep those full oh, year-round. Cool. I mean, they're about the size of like a an above-ground swimming pool is what I would compare them to. Mm-hmm. And so, I have made a very good effort to make sure that I have some type of bo- uh, blind location set up near that. And you know, Texas, we're allowed to bait. We, yeah. have, we have our feeders. So I've got those setups on that mm-hmm. and they have been some killer spots for me. And, but that four by four with the cedar, that's got me very intrigued that I might try that. It might, I think it might be a little too late to give it a shot, but next year, I think I'm going to have to definitely do that.
2: Yeah, it's really worth it. And it's amazing to see how early they'll start come checking it mm-hmm. and in that mock scrape They'll check them all the way into January, February. I mean, we've got bucks late still coming and checking that. Um, So it's pretty neat to see. And then this, let's see, probably two years ago, I guess we started doing it as well. One addition we do to that setup is we hang vertical licking branches. So we just Mm. get a long piece of grapevine. And we, a lot of times we'll just like, well, sometimes we have a ladder. Sometimes my husband I have to sit on his shoulders and reach up there. And we tie a rope across. And then tie that vertical licking branch in the middle. And I just wrap it in the middle and then put a few screws through it. And it hangs down about head height. And we have cameras on there. And I promise you, every single deer that comes to that location goes over and works that licking branch. And they can't really get a hold of it. We did have to fix one yesterday that Mm -hmm. I have no idea how but they ripped it down somehow. Good night. Um, I don't know if that was the operator error of me putting it <laughs> up on, but um, it's, it's been good for a long time, but they got a hold of it and they ripped it down. We put a new one on it yesterday, and all night and all morning we've had pictures on that vertical licking branch already. Dang.
1: Man, this is me excited. Give me some thoughts about stuff out at our place. So what other kind of things have you learned to implement this time of year? Well, I mean, we've talked about decoys. We've talked about the things that you have at each stand location. Mm-hmm. But are there any other uh, things that you do differently? Maybe some kind of golden nugget that the listener can pick up on?
2: Well, you know, we go out to Montana each year and we hunt different in every state that's that's a little bit different. Uh, Montana, I usually go there right around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the peak of their rut and that's during their firearm season. Okay. So, of course, when I go out there, one, I'm not going to be hiding behind a decoy because I don't want to get shot. <laughs> um, and two... You know, we're not going to the same spots all the time. We're just kind of going to the where, you know, some new ground or whatever. So I don't have water holes or anything like that. Okay. So what we usually do is we're going out there and we're looking for the bedding areas. They have all these Russian olives along the creeks and the powder river there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've learned is it's really hard to get in there and get those deer to, to, to get a shot, right? You can't just push them out and think you're going to get good shots. And and you can wait in the evenings till they come out to the fields. But honestly, it's kind of boring. And, you know, I don't want to go out there and just hunt an hour a day. Right. right. So What we started doing is from morning till night, we go in and we rattle all over. And what we're doing is we get the wind in our favor. And a lot of times we'll use the riverbanks to get to the backside of it. Right. So that way we've got a good wind for it. Yep. And we'll set up and we rattle. And what's so nice is when you're nice and close to those bedding areas, those bucks will come out to hear those antlers and they want to see what it is. Now, again, you don't have a visual, so you got to be very careful with it because they're looking for any movement that they can because they don't see where the fight is. But what's nice out there is if you live in an area with a high number of deer, when you rattle those bucks in, all of a sudden the little bucks come first and they're going to come in. A lot of times they might spot you or get downwind of you and then they blow out of there. The moment they leave, that's when I start crashing the antlers back together. Because what you start doing is you use those little deer as decoys, as live decoys. Because if there's a real fight in nature, little deer come to look at it. They might get their butt kicked or get beat up and they run out. And I've had some of the best deer come in after those little bucks have busted out of there. Because now they see it as, wow, what just happened there? You know, That's a real deer that just ran by me. There must be a heck of a fight. This is my area. And they come in. And really, we don't, you know, use any kind of blind setup or anything. I just try to get a little bit of back cover behind me. And I set my, I like to have my gun on a, it's a bog pod death grip that just holds your gun. So it's just in place. And what I like is to rattle and then it's all ready to go. So there's not a lot of extra movement. And I think anytime you're on the ground and, and rattling or doing that type of thing, it's all about movement, right? When those deer come in, you just want to be as still as possible and have everything ready. And, and I think that's a, a really good way to do it. It's a totally different way of hunting, but it's super effective out there as well.
1: Yeah. We, we do that same thing here in Texas. You know, mm-hmm. once December rolls around, it's just like, there's a whole nother gear that these deer go into. Cause I, I'd say, you know, end of this month in into early december is when our rut really kicks in for most of the state and we do that and gosh i mean you've hunted texas before right Mm -hmm. so i mean Mm -hmm. you you know those deer just come running in i mean they come in bristled up and they are ready (laughs) to kick some butt Mm
2: -hmm. and to me that's like the most fun thing you can do right it doesn't matter if it's a buck you want to shoot or not see them coming in mad stiff-legged hair all on in it's like the coolest thing. And especially if you're bringing kids or maybe a new hunter, Oh yeah, that's the most fun because it's interactive, right? You can give kids the antlers, you can give a new hunter the antlers, and then the next buck comes in, you rattled that deer in, you know, it's just a, a fun way to get out there and to make it more exciting. I think so many people think of deer hunting is you just sit on stand from dark to dark and you never move and maybe you see a deer, right? right. There's a lot of things that you can do to make it more interactive and to make it more fun.
1: Yeah, I think that that's pretty big, especially just like you said, when introducing it to somebody or taking kids out. Yeah. We we did it a little bit when I was a kid, but I didn't really do it till we got older. And it's definitely addicting. And I actually got my <laughs> wife to do it with me one year and she'd start, because she, heck, she would spot them before I would. You know, as you're sitting mm-hmm. there rattling and everything, you're looking one direction and I think she slapped mm-hmm. me on the shoulders. I don't know how many times seeing the deer before me and then the next season she's like can we go back out and do that again i want to kill big buck this year i'm like absolutely <laughs> we can Perfect. do that
2: and that's what it does is it makes it exciting for people and, and they're a part of it you know they're not just sitting on stand bored um, i don't care who you are it's way more fun to to be able to be a part of it i mean it's like turkey hunting or elk hunting you know there's a reason those things are so much fun and deer hunting can be that way too it's just a lot of people were brought up with it that way and i wasn't either um, but you learn those things along the way and you're constantly learning from people. You know, I'm always picking mm-hmm. up things in the field from different people in different areas on how they hunt, on things that work in their area. I mean, everything we do here in South Dakota, we have land in Illinois. Sometimes it doesn't work as well down there. Yeah. You know, you got to look at where you're at and what's better each place.
1: Exactly. So the next question I want to ask you, what is your more preferred time to hunt the rut in november and now what i'm asking is you know on our new version of pro whitetail you've got Mm -hmm. the rut map and within that rut map it shows you pre-rut times peak rut waning rut pre-second rut and then second rut of those where have you found your sweet spot like what's your more favorable time to go out and know that you're probably gonna have a better chance because we all know that once those deer get really into the thick and heavy, hot and heavy part of the rut and they get on lockdown, they can be pretty hard to kill. So what, where have you kind of found your best time to be in the woods in November?
2: Um, I really like the pre-rut when those bucks are, are really on edge. They haven't found any hot does yet, but yep. they know that they should be there. And they are aggressive and they're ready to kill each other. Um, <laughs> they're all penned up full of aggression. That's probably my favorite time. Um, my second favorite is actually that second rut. And I think it's because, um, I love hunting late season. Mm -hmm. I've always been a big fan of late season, but again, it's almost like you're piquing their curiosity the second time around. They've already had a little taste of it and they're like, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to get back after it. And, um, we've had some of the best hunts you could ask for in December. Um, up here, you know, where those small young fawns are coming into estrus, and you've got bucks all of a sudden just going crazy. And again, that's a time when, you know, you can look at some of your cameras, you can watch the weather, you can see what's happening. You can watch that whitetail rut map, right? Yeah. And figure out what's happening in different areas because just because it's here in South Dakota is totally different than in Texas. That's why it's so nice to have that in the app. Um, I'm going to Kansas on Friday, totally different deal than here. Yeah. Um, so I think for people, you know, even if you don't travel out of state very often, um, when you do, you want to make the most of it. And I think that's a great way to do it. Um, so that those are my two favorite times that pre-rut and that second rut.
1: Okay. So another question I have, I've been asking everybody this because I have actually, it's two, it's a two part question. Um, how are you looking at the moon? in your rut hunting strategy? Are you considering it? Are you worried about it? And then how worried are you about wind and your scent control?
2: So, okay. So the first part is with the moon. Um, I hunt every single day in November, mm-hmm. so I am not going to ever not hunt because of anything the moon is doing. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm out there every single day. Now, if I was planning a trip, right? Like if I was booking a hunt to maybe yeah. Illinois or something like that, um, of course I would take it into account. I always still believe that the pressure and the, the changes in weather, weather patterns are probably the most important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm not going to skip a mid-November day, (laughs) regardless of any reason. Now, I have hunted. I remember hunting the supermoon in November years back. And we were walking out at pitch dark. And I had a shadow from the moon because it was so bright. And I remember I took a picture of the shadow thinking, well, this is a bit much here. (laughs) This is a lot. Yeah,
1: just a little bit.
2: Um, so, you know, I think you you want to be aware. But again, I'm someone I like to hunt all day, every day during the ride. So Same. Um, I've probably had the best luck between 10 and 2, always. <laughs> now, I like to be out there early and I stay till dark. But if I had to pick one time of the day to be on stand, 10 to 2 would be it.
1: Midday madness. I like it. Yeah,
2: I like it. 100%. And then as far as the wind goes, you know, it really depends, you know, where I'm hunting. Um, a lot of the things that we hunt around here are deep draws. We we deal with thermals quite a bit. So okay. we've got um, your thermals are getting, you know, pulled up at night and, um, you know, things like that. But, you know, I'm not going to go sit a stand where I've got the direct wrong wind and I'm going to try to put a decoy out. I don't want to do that. You know, I do all the steps to scent control that I can, but I also want to be smart about it I will sometimes hang another stand Um, I was in Ohio and I had a good buck coming in over and over and I didn't have the right wind coming up for the next three days but he was coming to that spot so we went and hung a wind for that south wind spot and there you go. Now you alleviate it. We got it in. And there he comes. You know, it works perfect. So I think sometimes you just want to be smart about what you're doing and and think it through and look at the forecast. I think that's why it's important to look, you know, seven days out. What are you going to be mm-hmm. having so you can plan accordingly? If I know this week we've got south winds every day and I don't have enough south wind spots. Guess what I'm going to do today? Go get some in so that I'm not wasting these next seven days. That's why I think it's really important to be aware of the weather, to be aware of the winds, to watch what they're doing and to plan accordingly and not be lazy. I mean, if you got to move, you got to move.
1: Absolutely. Well, Melissa, I know we're starting to run short on time here. And so before we leave the listeners, kind of give them any last minute golden nuggets, any kind of extra rut hunting tips and strategies that you'd want to share with them.
2: Well, I think the key there is, I touched on it a little bit, is the midday madness, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So many people go out and they hunt in the morning and they come back in for lunch and they go back out for the evening. Especially if you're hunting somewhere that's a highly pressured area, sit all day. Bring snacks. I don't even care if you take a little nap while you're there if you need to. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Do not leave your stand. Because you are literally putting double the pressure on your hunting location every day by going in and out, in and out, right? So people kind of forget about that. And the other thing is, if there is pressure around there, let everybody else get those bucks up and moving. Get, get them up moving and you're sitting tight. They're going to come through your area. Um, so I think that's really important. And, you know, it's all a numbers game. The more mm-hmm. time on stand, the better your odds. I don't care what part of the country you live in, what time of the year it is. The more time you sit there, the higher your chances of success. So I think it's just important to stay patient. Bring a lot of snacks. People who hunt with me know that it's like a candy store. We got all sorts of things <laughs> with it. Um, but you know what? That's okay. It keeps you out there. It keeps you comfortable. Bring things like a seat cushion. You know, a lot of times the hunters will think, ah, oh, I'm not that much of, you know, I'm not that soft. I don't need to bring this or that. Oh. Here's the thing. You want to be comfortable because yes. if you're comfortable, you're moving less, you're sitting longer, and you're increasing your odds. Plus you're comfortable, right? You're making it more fun. If it's going to rain, throw in a set of rain gear. You don't have to be tough and sit through, get soaked all day, throw it in and be set. And I think that really makes the difference is you're really successful hunters are the ones who are putting in that time, time and time again. Sometimes it might work on the first day. A lot of times it doesn't. Um, So if you're willing to out hunt and outwork everybody else, usually that's your best chance of success.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a firm believer that, you know, the more time you put in the stands, your odds and, you know, statistics will show that, you know, the more you do, the more your chances will be and better your chances will be at doing something, whether it's Mm -hmm. hunting or not. So, Melissa, where can the listeners find you on social media, YouTube? Tell us about that.
2: So if you go to melissabachman.com is my website, you can find everything from there. It's melissa underscore Bachman on Instagram. Um, you can go on YouTube. I think it's under Winchester Deadly Passion now since I got banned for Melissa Bachman, honey. <laughs> um, so just go to my website, melissabachman.com and okay. you can find all the links from there.
1: Well, awesome. Well, Melissa, thank you for your time today. Appreciate you sharing all your knowledge, golden nuggets with rut strategies and, and different things the listeners can be doing to help better their chances and odds. At killing themselves a big buck, whether it's this year, next year, but just really appreciate your time and just carving out the hour that today before you head out to—is it Nebraska? You said.
2: Yeah, I'm got my decoy packed and heading out. So. Well, <laughs> Ready I, go.
1: I wish you good luck this evening. Hope to see a big buck on the ground here soon on social media from you. So just thanks again for your time.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
1: All right, y'all. There you go. Hopefully you're motivated after hearing melissa's story you know she she started from humble beginnings and worked her way up into the industry to where she is now she's got her own show and she does an amazing job we couldn't be more excited and happy to be partnered with her and like i said she's got she's got a work ethic like no other and at the end of the day i mean she puts some monster bucks down so again y'all we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to hunt stand podcast really appreciate the support have a happy Thanksgiving. Go spend some time out in the woods, get up in a tree and spend time with family. And most importantly, stuff your bellies with a lot of food and turkey. It's okay. You can do that this time of year. You've been working hard all year. So go stuff your bellies, y'all. Thanks again for tuning in the Podcast. And we'll see you on Field Note Fridays for our last episode of the November Rut Series with Lee Likoski. See you next time, y'all. will cooper host of hunt stands make your mark podcast if you haven't already download the free waypoint tv app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from hunt stand presents anywhere anytime and on any device
0: oh that's awesome don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment